I know uh, I'm preaching to the choir with a lot of uh, my local community, but I'm throwing this out to a, a global audience. Um, I see I see words like optimal and uh, this is better. And I understand, I, I genuinely do understand that there are models that can be consider, considered better than other models. But from my perspective, sometimes I just want to put a model on the table that looks better or I want to put a model on the table that I think sounds like more fun to use. Now, I, on the whole, would consider myself to be a relatively competitive gamer. I'm the sort of person who builds tough lists that are designed to do a certain thing. I like building lists that uh, might people may not enjoy to play all that much. Um, I, I like the idea of playing tight, tough games where like, uh, I have a, a sweat drop trickling down my cheek as I, or as down my forehead, down my cheek. Oh, might not be a sweat drop, but I, I want to basically play games where it's determined on the last, on the last round. I don't want to play easy games and I don't want to play games where, uh, I don't want to play games where I lose easily and I don't want to play games where I win easily either. Now, I understand, and I have. I, I'm, I'm going to bring up an example here. Now, each one of these episodes is going to be about a particular model, a model that I think is undeserved of its status, a model that should be used more often, that I'd like to see used more often. Uh, I'd like to talk about the merits of these models uh, and and generally discuss why I'd like to see more of it. Now. Some of these models I might just have a bit of a fancy for because I think that they, they look nice. But on the whole, I'm going to be trying to approach this uh, from, a, from a, a competitive gaming mindset as well as just what I think is a bit fun. Because I understand that there are many, many different types of gamers out there. Um, I tend to sit quite in the middle. I, I like to play competitively, but I also like my army to look good on a table. Uh, and generally... Uh, I I understand. I've I've been a fluff gamer in the past. I've 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 played you know very themed lists in games like Warhammer and you know generally I I, I like things to tie together nicely. But I'm not above just taking things that work well together. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with uh, my personal favourite. I'm gonna start off with the Poltergeist. Now. The Poltergeist, let's go through the front of his card, is a five-stone minion totem, uh, and he is Pandora's totem. Now, I have a feeling that totems are going to be a big subject on this podcast. 
Uh, so it makes sense to start with one. And here's a totem. Uh, already interesting that he is five stones. That's a, a big bugbear for a lot of people. And he is also a minion. Now that's uh, a little special for a totem, or at least it was once upon a time. Or unless you're Kalotti, but never mind. So he's defense five, willpower six. He has five wounds. He's walk six, charge six, and height three. Now, uh, his big selling point is he has an, a two-inch aura, which uh, puts all models or enemy models uh, within uh, two inches of him uh, to a negative on willpower jewels, which means that most of Pandora's crap is going to pound through without any contest. And uh, you you got to pick your targets well, because unless you're just wanting your opponent to burn soul stones, you... You want to be targeting models like Enforcers and Minions with this ability. But sometimes, sometimes it's worth just hurling him uh, at, at a leader. I've, I've had it work really well, especially against certain outcast masters that don't have a lot of stones to spare on. Stony for positive for willpower jewels and that sort of thing. Now, he's got regen one, so every turn he's going to regenerate one wound. And he's got incorporeal, which is the reason he actually survives with five wounds and five defense. So, essentially, against anything that's not a cast attack, he has ten wounds. Now, the other thing that keeps him alive is an ability that both Pandora and Iggy share, called Martyr. Now, I've also seen some people... Um, take the mysterious emissary uh, and, um, and and use him as a third martyr. I'm going to be straight up honest to all of you out there in listening land. I think that is a colossal waste of 10 soul stones. But, you know, uh, some people like it, some people don't. Essentially, though, my, my game plan whenever, I've, whenever I pop the poltergeist on the table is uh, to keep Pandora and Iggy within six inches of him at all times, or at least until I don't care about him dying. The, the Martyr ability allows them both to absorb one wound uh, before, uh, before any damage is applied to him. So essentially, uh, the, the, the thought process I have here is, let's say, for instance, he's getting stabbed with a, I don't know, a Howard Langston attack. He's going to say a minimum of four damage. Now it goes down to two for incorporeal. And then Iggy and Pandora both absorb one wound. He takes no damage. That's why I tend to run models like Capellius or Candy in my lists to keep those two fresh as daisies. Um, and I, I think Capellius and Candy both work well in crews. I suspect Candy is also going to be a topic for another conversation. But uh, his uh, attack is pretty eh. It's pretty average. Um, I wouldn't even bother with it. It's just a good way of tying models up within two inches, because it's a melee four attack. It's a 1-1 one, one slash five damage attack that makes models receive slow. Now, I have, I've because of the negative flips, occasionally, occasionally gotten that minimum, or that, that severe damage, which also procs misery because it's a willpower attack, essentially doing six damage. Oh, that's nice, it's nice, but it basically never happens. I never rely on it. The um, the big thing that he's got, though, is Magical Extension, which allows him to take one of Pandora's attacks uh, using her her cast actions, but it's at minus three cast. Now, for a while, I thought this was really rubbish, because essentially it gives him a cast four attack, but because the model that he's attacking is on negatives to jewels, generally it doesn't matter. Uh, I've found an unbelievable amount of use in this. Sometimes when I really need a model to just get stuffed, what I'll do is I'll actually charge um, the poltergeist right at them and uh, th and hope and just generally hope that they flip poorly for both of the or for one of the two cards that they flip and you know it, it makes a, a six of crows surprisingly useful now 
I'm going to put some caveats out there. I personally think that he is much better in a, a Voices Pandora-style crew than uh, the Primordial Magic. All right, so I'm going to close my book because I'm not going to talk about paranormal activity. It's a rubbish ability, and let's not discuss it. Now, the, uh, the Primordial Magic is good. Uh, there is absolutely no way, uh, nothing that I can say about that. It's a really good model. And I understand why people think the primordial magic is better than uh, than the poltergeist because essentially you're paying two soul stones for a card every turn, and you you can't you can't argue with that. He also has an ability to put people at negatives. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, he has an ability to stop models from being able to uh, interact for the game, uh, and that's nice. But really, most of the time he's just floating around the back, occasionally counting as a scheme marker when he needs to. He has an enormous amount of utility for a two soul stone model. But the poltergeist's ability is is just something that people don't expect a lot of the time. Now, people have come to expect it locally because I use him so often. But I've found on the whole, uh, unless they're taking cast attacks, which, you know, sometimes is a real pain in the neck, especially when I'm taking sorrows and the like. But if if they don't have any cast actions, they they can't deal uh, well with him because essentially they need to do 10 damage to this 5 stall stone model to, to really remove him off the table or at least, you know, 8 or whatever whatever the minimums turn out to be. The the thing that I find really satisfying about them though is he's uh, he can be used as a minion when I need him to. I used to use him a lot for, um, I can't remember what the, the, the scheme where you need to get all your minions on the other side of the board. I found him very effective for that because he was quite fast. I could knock him up the table with something else. And then I could use him as an anchor for all my sorrows to kind of float them up the table. Uh, because they're also really, really fast as well, uh, as long as you've got a pocket full of fives. So I find him surprisingly good at doing that. Most of the time what he's doing is just sitting there being annoying and dropping scheme markers. So he becomes he becomes a, a decent scheme runner that also has this really, really frustrating ability for the opponent. Now, uh, one of the there's, there's a whole variety of different reasons why I like using him specifically. I like, but in the, the Voices crew, in the Pandora crew, now for people who don't use Pandora, haven't played against Pandora much, Voices is uh, a an upgrade that Pandora can take that puts her at, uh, gives her an ability to paralyze models instead of doing damage with her close combat attack or her shooting attack. Her shooting and close combat attacks normally uh, deal damage according to the model that they're attacking's uh, damage track. So say, for instance, if you're attacking a model with a 2-3-5 damage track, she will then use that damage track against them. She'll do a 2-3-5 damage against them instead. Uh, and then uh, she also has the ability where any time a model fails a willpower duel, which of course they probably will from this attack, they take one damage. So it's a good way of doing uh, some pretty solid damage if you need it to. The crow trigger, though, with this ability, allows you to paralyze models. Now, the reason why people uh, tend to go for the poltergeist, so the primordial magic in a, in a voices crew, is because they feel like they need to see more cards uh, for this ability to be useful. I've also heard people use the depression upgrade, which allows you to discard a card to add that suit to all your attacks for the rest of the turn. I can see the merit in this, but it stops you from uh, it completely cancels Pandora's m maneuverability. Uh, and that's that's a real bugbear for me. I don't like that. I don't like uh, not using her amazing zero action because Pandora is all about making sure that your opponent's crew activates in such an order that is less damaging and less threatening to you. And that's what her other zero action does. It means that you can control their activation order. And if I'm not using that every turn, I feel like I'm not using Pandora correctly. 
So what I, uh, what I do like to do is I like to just be able to use those low crows like uh, for those attacks. If I need to if I need to get rid of something, I'll stone for it. But the the fact that the poltergeist puts these models on negatives allows me to throw these crappy crows uh, at Pandora's attacks or even uh, more often I'm finding these days I use him as like a little cruise missile to paralyze one model every turn. You know, he can throw that five of crows at any any time. That's fine. It's a really good use of a card, especially when you're paralyzing a model like Leviticus or something. So uh, dear friends, this is the kind of thing I want to talk about. This is the kind of discussion I want to open up about our uh, our favorite little models that are hiding in the cupboard. Because I, I deeply, deeply enjoyed painting all of Pandora's box. <laughs> uh, I deeply enjoyed painting all of the models in that box. It was a very, very fun thing to do. And it always broke my heart that um, instead I was using this weird snake puking into a vase. Like, I... I, I understand why I was using it, and, and at first it seemed like the logical progression, but as I've gotten better at the game, it's, it didn't seem that necessary anymore. And in fact, what I've found from using some of these models that don't classically get used that often is um, it generally gives me a better... It makes me better at the game. I'm not relying on good models to help me win the game. Now, I understand the argument, the counter-argument to this is people are going to be playing with those good models. People are going to be playing against you with their good models, so what's the point of me not taking good models, you know? Why why should I take a missile launcher when they're bringing a nuke? I don't think that it's that, like, crucially important in a game like Malifaux. And in fact, a lot of the time, when you take these curveballs, um, it's more of a way of confusing them than just taking the, the good stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, I genuinely think that when when people only use these quote-unquote optimal models in their local meta, it stagnates the local meta. Um, and that's why I love it when I see people using models that just don't get featured, the ones that have been left behind. So, uh, enough of my little rants. I'm going to be talking a lot more about these models as time goes on. Um, so, in the future, I'll probably be getting other people to give me their opinions on models that they think are the ones that are left behind. And I'd, I'd like to hear uh, from you, gentle listeners, what those models are. And if you'd like to come on the show and tell me what you think those models are, I would be more than happy to have you. My name is Alan, and this is The Ones Left Behind. Uh, it's been real. I'll talk to you soon. Good night.